This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Odeon and Odeon Lux, who, in true Black Friday tradition, are getting ready to make movies better for us all. Odeon My Limitless is your ticket to infinite cinema. See as many movies as you like from only $14.99 a month. Sign up now and pick up a £20 Amazon voucher or a €20 Odeon voucher if you're in Ireland. Total cinematic immersion awaits. If you'd rather immerse someone else in cinematic wonder, then you could make their day, week, month or year by giving them an Odeon e-gift card. Spend £30 or more and you'll get an extra £5 e-gift card absolutely free. Has cinema ever felt better than this? I don't think so. Both offers run until the 28th of November and are available at odeon.co.uk. You see, Odeon really do make movies better. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review. I'll explain more at the end of the show, but congratulations to this week's winner, Benny Const, who left us the following review on Apple Podcasts titled Great Pod. Really enjoyed the Jack Mate episode. Keep it up. It's short and sweet this week. Straight to the point. Thank you, Benny Const. Drop us an email to triptomovies at gmail.com and we'll send you your Odeon Cinema tickets. More details at the end of the show if you'd like to pick up a pair of tickets yourself. Also, don't forget the full Jack Mate video interview is on our Patreon along with every other interview from every guest on the show. Just head over to our Trip to the Movies Patreon. And finally, for all the latest news and clips from the show, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Trip to Movies Pod. All right, then, if you're ready, back to this week. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week we're joined by a brilliant actress with numerous stage and screen credits to her name, including The Ferryman, Outlander and The Fall, and was most recently seen tearing up the screen in the brilliant Disney Plus Halloween special, Werewolf by Night, part of the MCU's Phase 4, taking us on today's trip to the movies, it's the excellent Laura Donnelly. Hello, Laura. Hello, how are you doing? I'm really well. How are you this merry morning? I am very well, thank you very much. So it's been a busy few years uh, for you. I, I thought we'd start with the, the most recent, uh, which is obviously something that appeals to me. I'm a massive Halloween fan, and I just thought Werewolf by Night was a wonderful one-off from Marvel Studios. What was it like becoming part of the behemoth that is the MCU, even for just one episode? It is that. Um, I mean, I, like you, I'm a massive Halloween fan. That was actually the main draw for me. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> fine, it's Marvel, whatever, but it's a Halloween movie. Yes, definitely. So, you know, I was I was really into all of those old Universal Monster movies and the Hammer Horror movies and all of that stuff growing up. My sister was a real goth and she used to watch them all and I would, I would, you know, be forced to watch them with her, but I loved them. And so when I spoke to Michael, our director, and he said that he really just wanted to pay tribute to those movies, then I was all in. I mean, so much fun. 
The aesthetic is so wonderful. Like you say, the old Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff movies of the past. But I mean, the attention to detail, even down to the little cigarette burns in the yeah. corner of the screen, the yeah. old ones where it's like, change the reel, change the reel. Is that it though? Is it one and done? Um, I can't say anything <laughs> for okay. certain because I basically don't know. But I, what I do know is that there is very much a plan to open up this supernatural and monster side of the universe. And obviously at the end of Werewolf by Night, things are left very open as to where things can go in terms of um, the characters and also the story in regards to the Bloodstone and all that. You know, there's a whole history in the comic mm. books around the Bloodstone and, and um, what that will mean going forward. So I don't know what the plans are if there are any plans but there's certainly huge potential there and i would do anything that they ask me to come back and do so i, I i'd hope so as well i mean obviously like the uh, the response from the fans if it was just one and done i think there'd be an outcry a bit like when you you I departed outlander after the first three series people were like what <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, people were like this is unacceptable so i mean your portrayal of elsa bloodstone has just it's had such a positive response oh thank you yeah i i mean we were um, you know, me, Gael and Michael, I think we're all just hugely thrilled and surprised by how big a reaction it got, because for us, it didn't feel like we were filming something that was part of this massive Marvel universe. We were in a studio in Atlanta for, you know, I think I was there for a total of five weeks and I think we only filmed for three of them. And, you know, it felt like this tiny little passion project of Michael's, you know, it really felt like we were making this little B movie with these practical sets and, you know, and everything on it was practical. So it didn't feel like we were part of this huge thing. And it was really only once it, came on to Disney Plus and I saw it there alongside all of the other Marvel projects that it really kind of sunk in for me that that's, you know, that we were part of that. So, you know, the reaction has been amazing. And I think that what people have really loved about it is that it's a really fresh thing for the MCU. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, is it, is it, is it wrong to say I love the violence? I think maybe I loved <laughs> it so much. <laughs> I think I was just surprised. I'm like, this is part of Marvel and our limbs are being severed. And it's like, blood I mean, the everywhere. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know there was going to be so much blood either. You know, when I watched it and obviously there were so many parts of it that we were just leaving up to Michael's imagination. And we didn't know that we're going to be in there. Like, as you say, the cigarette burns, things like that. And the blood was one of them because it was a constant conversation on set was how much blood are we going to be allowed and you know it was always trying to find that balance between making it proper halloween gory scary and obviously you know keeping it um within the the mcu world and yeah i think it was later on that michael just kept going further and further with like the blood splatter on the screen and all of that stuff and they they <laughs> were just let him so i mean uh michael giacchino uh like this is a, the, his biggest directing gig so far he's known as a composer to me he's known as the man who has made me cry more than any other in the history of cinema i mean that score for up obviously he won uh -huh. the oscar for it but God, I mean, I don't know whether I love him or I hate him because that <laughs> montage in Up, it's, it's just traumatic. Like, it really is. So, yeah, I mean, how was it working uh, with him? Because, like I said, this is this is the biggest thing he's done in a director's chair yet. Yeah, but I think the thing that I loved most about it was when he was able to bring a sense of that um, 
that that history that he has of composing music because he was able to you know provide little bits of the score he was planning to use uh whenever he was directing certain scenes so for example at towards the end when Elsa's walking down the corridor to to Jack in his werewolf form and she's not sure whether he's going to leap on her or what's going to happen and Michael was just able to play me the music that he had composed for that moment and said, so this is this is the vibe that we're going for. And that helps so much as an actor because that is it's so much more useful than words. You know, he could he could describe with that one little piece of music so much more than he could have if he'd talked to me about the scene for 10, 15 minutes. And I loved that he had that available. And then, you know, I think it also in terms of the storytelling of the piece as a whole, like the the rhythm of it, the way the story um, where it slows down, speeds up in places, just the 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 overall shape of it, I think is it makes it really clear that Michael has such um, an expertise in music, and mm. just to me that 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 was really obvious whenever I watched it. But yeah, it was it was so much fun being part of something that he has wanted to do since he was a little kid. I mean, I've seen now some of his. I don't know if you've watched the um, director by night documentary uh, that backs up Werewolf, and it, I watched it a few nights ago, and it is just the most gorgeous documentary I've ever seen because it speaks to Michael's, you know, his passion for directing and how he had wanted to do that all of his life and, you know, making werewolf movies at the age of eight to now, you know, <laughs> being in this situation. So it was really just a privilege to to get to be part of that for him that he's wanted to do for so long. I hadn't even considered that, but yeah, of course, that's such a unique experience to have a composer directing able to actually play the music to set the scene that's that's fascinating that must be such a a rare thing for an actor it's incredible and I've always used music myself for performance I've you know whether it's on stage or you know I'll be sitting in my dressing room before I go on for certain scenes listening to certain pieces of music because that's the quickest way to put me in a headspace to put me in an emotional space and music is so powerful in that way and um, hugely important for me in, in what I do so to have somebody that can just support that and provide for it is really really special I mentioned Outlander uh, briefly. Obviously, you were in the first three seasons of that. How how was it launching that show? Because that show itself, um, talking of phenomenons uh, like the MCU, that's something of a phenomenon as well. Absolutely. I I didn't really have any sense of that when we were making it, certainly when we were making the first season. You know, I was in... Scotland, where, where which is somewhere that I had lived for three years while I went to drama school, and a lot of the cast, Sam, who plays Jamie, um, and many of the other cast, Ian, who played my husband, they were all in drama school at the same time as me. And so I kind of, it just felt like this lovely, you know, familiar um, group of people, and we were just making something in kind of, you know, in, in the middle of nowhere in Scotland. And I very naively just didn't have a sense of the fan base for those books and it wasn't until yeah like well after the first season had come out and I was I kind of was able I think it was the first time that I was in New York actually I think I was doing theatre in New York and it was much bigger in America before it was in the UK Um, and people would come up to me on the street and talk about Jenny and I I had no idea of that until that moment really but I think that's the best way whenever you are when you're filming if you can have no sense of what 
is going on outside of just the scenes that you're making then. Because if you let that kind of thing get into your head too much and think about the scale of what you're doing, well, same thing with Werewolf. You know, I thankfully was not sitting on set thinking, oh my God, here we are trying to launch a whole new side of the MCU. <laughs> the responsibility <laughs> of that would feel somewhat intimidating. So um, yeah, I just I just didn't really have a sense of it. But, you know, I think especially for, for me, that's just a really lovely side of doing Outlander is that, you know, there have been really passionate, fantastic fans who who feel so strongly about it. You know, for, for people like Sam and Katrina who play the leads, it's a whole other world. I mean, their mm. lives have changed unrecognizably. I mean, you, you just mentioned it, uh, being on stage uh, in New York. Uh, congr- a belated, I guess, congratulations on your Olivier Award uh, oh, for the Ferryman. <laughs> thank you. That must have felt extra special, having uh, won that award for a, a play that was written by your partner that was also based on your own family history. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we originally discussed the idea of it and, and uh, what what was going to be the basis of the play, the, the the family story of mine behind it, and you know the fact that it was going to be set in Northern Ireland in 1981, um, all of those things were just you know we discussed it as something that we just wanted to to make happen, and you don't think about how it'll be and best not to think about how it'll be received down the line and like the potential for its success and things like that and so to to cut to kind of three years later when yeah like you know Jez got the Olivier for best play and and I got it for best actress and you know you, you don't dare to dream that far ahead we were just immensely proud that we'd made it happen at all you know because how often do you get to sit down in your life in a cafe and go, okay, well, this is what, this is what we should do next. And, and, you know, to, for to actually to have come off and to have come off in a, in a, in a big way, we were just amazingly proud of that. And so then for it to, to have had the success that it did in terms of things like, you know, awards and, and audiences and all of that is just, you know, extra special. It's just a bonus. Uh, well, again, congratulations, Laura. You're about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz, as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. So it's your perfect cinema trip, Laura. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? I have picked my very much alive best friend, Brona, who I have known since I was five. We met on the first day of primary school, and I have been on many cinema trips with Brona in my life, obviously. I think the first one I remember being to see Bambi, um, (laughs) which... uh, was traumatic and I've never got over it and um, and so now I think it would yeah it would definitely be Brona what makes her Brona the perfect cinema partner well she's the only person that I get to watch really scary movies with my uh my partner won't watch them at all and so from the day I met him I've barely watched any of them until I get together with Brona and then we can watch them have you have you tried to make Jez watch them oh, and he's yeah. just hit, I, I, yeah. I, I, have you how far into a movie have you got a scary movie have you got with him oh approximately five minutes and he's just <laughs> he's the biggest scaredy cat I've ever met 
<laughs> it cannot handle it. So that's that's just it. It just it doesn't happen anymore. I've stopped even trying. <laughs> so Brona and yourself, you're a, you're a fan of a, a scary movie at oh, the yeah. cinema. Lovely. And do you react? Because some people are like. I'm a I'm a horror watcher where I I get hysterical like when I see sort of violence and scares it makes me laugh like instinctively yes. I don't know what that reaction is what's your reaction to watching a scary movie Oh gosh I think yeah I've definitely had the 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 laughter I just have this thing where I'm I'll be terrified, but I've just got that voice in my head that is going, it's fine, it's just a movie. And I'm just trying to be really cool about it. So probably not an awful lot of expression going on, but inside I'm actually terrified. All right. So you're heading to the cinema with Brona. There's a clock (laughs) on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time have we gone to the cinema? Surprisingly, about 11 in the morning. Wow. I think think if you are... In the cinema at 11 in the morning, it is the height of luxury. You obviously have (laughs) nothing else to do that day. You know, you are absolutely free from all other concerns in the world if you're in the cinema at 11 in the morning. So to me, that's that's total luxury. Uh, Okay, 11 in the morning. That is very much (laughs) at the first screening of the day. I'm pretty sure some cinemas don't even open that early. So that's amazing that you found a cinema at 11 Mm. in the morning. That's That's a quiet screening. As yes, well, I imagine. exactly, and I have to admit, I do like that as well. Yeah, you like you like a yeah. quiet cinema. Yes, apart from for big blockbusters, if it's a big blockbuster, I want the whole experience. I want everybody there and reacting. All you know, things like um, I went to see Endgame in the cinema, and oh wow, that was you know that was like packed, and that, that's just perfect. I love that. But for a movie that you know is anything you know a little less huge than that i do like a quiet cinema i get quite easily distracted by what other people are doing have you ever had that experience where you go to the cinema and you genuinely are the only person in the auditorium like it's a private screening room yeah absolutely and i just love it i would build one (laughs) in my basement if i could that's the dream right that's the Mm -hmm. dream i think any 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 cinephile is like one day that's yeah. the dream. So you get distracted by other people in the cinema, like it, what, like the the noises they make, if they're like, or or if they're doing something that is considered bad, like being on your bloody phone in the cinema. Yeah, and we are, you know, we're we're cutting close to the my worst experience in the cinema uh, yeah. question because yes, I have that thing, uh, like that condition. I can't remember what it what it's called, but where noises that people make will make me irrationally. Uh, irritated and it's nobody it's not their fault they're just making perfectly normal human noises but once my brain has tuned into it i can't hear anything else this is so weird misophonia is the uh is there the is the name of the, I, I i only know it because i was talking to someone else recently and they were like misophonia i was like i'm gonna log that away because i'd never i'd never heard of it before mm-hmm. but yeah yeah it's a real thing <laughs> <It really> <laughs> okay <laughs> you have booked the tickets for this trip so where in the auditorium are we sitting I like middle towards back, but not right at the back. And okay. and on the aisle, I think, um, <gasps> yeah, I think I like to be able to <laughs> just have some freedom next to me. I like to be able to stretch my leg out if I can. Um, yeah. This is amazing. Like I this this is the first time I've been waiting for this moment. Everyone else picks the middle of an aisle and I'm a, I I'm always always the end seat and you are the first person who's agreed with me. Why would you want to be trapped? 
Exactly. <laughs> Again, this is like this is a luxury uh, to talk about. But when you get invited, I I don't like going to film premieres. When you get that little invite, it's like, would you like to come to the premiere of this? And most people are like. I'd love to. And I'm like, no, because I can't pick an aisle seat yes. and I'll be trapped and I won't be able to get out. Exactly. Like who likes the middle seat on a plane? Nobody. So why does anybody <laughs> like the middle seat on a, in, a, in a cinema? It doesn't make any sense. I've never even considered that analogy, but you're absolutely right. The sound in cinemas is so good now. It makes not a shred of difference no. if you're on the aisle. No. Oh. And also, you, if you're Laura. on the aisle and they have one of those cup holders, then you, for a fact, know which one is yours. Can you imagine how awkward that would be, sipping someone else's drink and then going, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very sorry, but that, and then you're like, what do you do then? You're trapped in the middle. You have to replace their drink because you've sucked <laughs> on the straw. So then it's the double whammy of awkward at drinking someone else's drink and then having to ask people to bloody move. I'd oh. just rather not go to the cinema. <laughs> oh, I love it. Fantastic. An aisle seat, finally. <laughs> okay. The air is full of wonderful smells in the foyer. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What do you usually choose to eat? I I just love the really bad fully loaded nachos. I like Ooh. I like that plastic cheese sauce dip stuff. The stuff yeah. that should absolutely not be consumed by anybody. The, the stuff that you've called cheese, but that's yeah, optimistic. It's not, it's not food. <laughs> Never mind cheese. But I love it. It contains absolutely no nutritional value. When Armageddon happens, there's just going to be cockroaches <laughs> and that cheese and left that on planet cheese. Earth. Absolutely. And, you know, it's slightly congealed on the top because it has rapidly <laughs> lost its heat. And um, you also get to fool yourself into believing that you're having a slightly healthy vegetable um, in the form of the jalapenos. It's green. It's I mean, definitely one of the five a day. Practically health food. Okay. So and it's it's quite a strange food to have in the cinema because of the crunch. Do you not get self-conscious about the noise that you might yourself be making crunching down on nachos? I am in, I'm, I'm incredibly conscious of that. And so I'm just very good at it. I wait till the noisy moments. I make sure that a whole one goes in my mouth and one goes so that my lips are closed when I bite down on it. And because of my misophonia, I am very considerate of other people. I, I have a weird image of like sitting in the cinema, putting a nacho in and just sort of sucking at, like it's a boiled sweet, sucking on a nacho until it slowly dissolves in my mouth. It has um, happened. Which... It's an unpredictably quiet moment in the film. And I'm like, oh, no, this is me with a nacho in my mouth for the next three minutes. Okay. Fully loaded nat shows. That's going on the list. All right, then. So, popcorn, sweet or salted? Sweet. Definitely sweet. Oh. And I wasn't really a big popcorn fan until until I had kids. And then they eat so much of it. that I think, And there's always, you know, there's always lots left over. And, um, and I've got much more into it in recent times. But kind of the sweeter, the better. Okay. And um, obviously you're going to the cinema with Brona. Are you sharing popcorn or do you have an independent box of popcorn? Does Brona share your love of the sweet popcorn? She would have always had her own popcorn and I would have had the nachos. But I do remember one time we went to see Titanic. We must have been about 13 and she spilt my nachos all over my new white coat. Oh, that cheese does not come out. It that doesn't. Is... It doesn't. That new white coat was no longer, was no longer usable. 
but you know, it's, it's just all, it's, it's all part of the experience. So I forget <sighs> her. I mean, yeah. Although you do remember distinctly that moment, you you have forgiven her, but it's it's right there. <laughs> forgiven, but not forgotten. <laughs> oh, okay. Some sweet popcorn. I mean, the correct answer is salted. I'm uh, with Brona. All right, it's time to leave the foyer and walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. Posters along the cinema wall illustrate some of your most important movie memories. The first one depicts your fondest movie memory. What is it? I think it is that when I first moved to London, um, the uh, my, my friend Kevin, who I lived with, we were both starting out as actors, therefore had a lot of time on our hands. And uh, we used to go to Islington and watch three movies in a day. And uh, this was always on Sundays. And we would go in for the 11, for the 11 a.m. showing. <laughs> and then we would have lunch. And then we would go in for a second film. And then we would go out and have dinner. And then we would go in for a third film. And in the third film, we would sometimes go to our local super, supermarket and get mini bottles of champagne with straws and bring them in and drink that during the third film. And so that was my Sunday. Anytime we could afford it, that was my Sunday. So that to me is just the greatest, the greatest cinema experience possible. My gosh. What a wonderful, wonderful image you have painted there. Just that, that it's the last bit, the icing on the cake, nipping out to the local, <laughs> the local off license just before that final film for the little treat. Oh. And that that, that was in the days when they didn't actually serve alcohol in the cinemas. And so we were just, you know, kind of sneaking them in with our <laughs> yeah. straws. And well, also around that time, like I remember there were some really, really brilliant films that came out in those couple of years and we had some cracking Sundays I mean I remember we had we had things like Bat Batman Begins came out then The Departed came out then it was I remember going to see Pan's Labyrinth it was amazing we saw some really really brilliant films on those Sundays that is a wonderful, wonderful fond movie memory. So <laughs> what are we going to put up as the poster, though? Are we going to put up uh, uh, those three movies you mentioned, or uh, are we putting up a poster of, of you and Kevin slurping on a tiny little <laughs> bottle of champagne? <laughs> With our little straws. <laughs> yeah. Great. That's going up then. Okay. So that's your fondest movie memory. The second poster depicts your worst movie memory. What is your worst movie memory? It is, it's quite recent and it speaks to that whole thing about, you know, being in the cinema alone because I went to see No Time to Die in the cinema and mm. in every direction around me, people were just on their phones and it just, oh. it was so depressing. <laughs> the idea that these, that there is a whole cast and crew the size of a small country that has worked for months on end for every single hour available to create this thing. And the girl in front of me was looking at boots. And there's somebody down the aisle answered their phone at one point. And I was like, oh why? Just, just go home. Like, why did you come? Why didn't we stay at home? This will come out on TV. It's just so depressing. It's weird. I heard a scary fact the other day that um, 
that some uh, streaming services, so this isn't the cinema, but streaming services, because they're so aware that even at home, people are on their phones while they're watching TV, are trying to uh, now tailor scripts that take into account that people are on their phones. So they repeat important facts so Mm -hmm. you can follow a story while looking at Instagram. Yes, I have heard that exact thing as well, which is just um, that they have scripts now the idea is that there isn't really anything you need to follow plot wise you just look up and something is very clearly going on like two particular monsters might be fighting each other over a city at that point and really 15 minutes ago pretty much the same thing was going on and that you know and that you know the premise of the movie from the title anyway so beyond that plot is not necessary I, I mean, it's so amazing that this experience you had with the phones was for no time to die. And this is this is a spoiler, but it's been out a while. So, <laughs> yeah. what what does what does a Bond movie have to do to get your attention? <laughs> they literally kill yeah. James Bond, <laughs> and people are like, "Yeah, but these boots, yeah. man, yeah, uh, they're on discount." Yeah, they threw everything at that movie. They've got Blofeld, they've got, as you say, he's dying, he's having children, he's having, you know, everything that James Bond has never done is in that movie. And people are just not that bothered. (laughs) I'd love it. I'd love it. If you were with someone who'd been on their phone during that movie and you're like, wow, that was special, huh? James Bond died. And they're like, come again? He died? (laughs) Uh, I mean... Do you want to see these Uggs? Because they're pretty cool, but I didn't. Yeah. All right. I'm going to put up a No Time to Die poster. Uh, with uh, I'm going to alter Daniel Craig's face uh, on the poster to look even more sad. Than he does. <laughs> it's No Time to Shop. <laughs> Great. Uh, right then. Your third poster depicts the last performance that brought you, Laura, to tears. Well, now, are we talking tears of laughter or tears of sadness? Uh, it could be either. It's a very good point. Very good question. Wh- whichever think, you prefer. I think the last one that brought me t- tears of laughter was um, Nick Cage in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> because the scene in which he accidentally, what is it? He gets like the patch on his hand and drugs himself and he's trying to like get into this room that that is just it was ridiculous and I knew absolutely nothing about that film when I pressed play and um oh my god it was just it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen and I just cried laughing it was so much funnier that movie than I expected it to be everybody might not agree with me on that one but I just I just thought it was so hilarious no, I, I I loved it, and it's just it's just great because Nicolas Cage is this. He's Nicolas Cage, and the yes. fact that he can take a step back and has the self awareness to go, yeah, I'm Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's totally. it just it's wonderful, and he's like playing his greatest hits of characters, but all of them badly. It was just <laughs> it was so good. Um, but um, I'll sw- I'll switch it around, and I would say the what, the last one that moved me to tears. Uh, it, you know, in a in a kind of um, empathetic, emotional way, I think was in uh, Blonde, but it was Julianne Nicholson playing uh, Marilyn's mother, Norma Jean's mother, um, mm. towards the beginning of that movie. I just think that Julianne Nicholson is one of the most spectacular actresses, and and kind of very 
Well, underrated, I suppose, in the sense that, you, you know, I think people always know that they've seen her in things and they, they're not quite sure where they can place her, but, but that they, or they don't necessarily know her name, but they know that they've loved her in movies and, and, and on TV. And I just thought that the, the small amount of time that she had on screen in that movie was so hugely effective. And she does that so well. And, and that, the, you know, the mother that she played, it was so, disturbing and so sad and and I just yeah I just I, I find I find the whole thing quite devastating I thought she was amazing I, I totally understand what you mean about actors who you sort of go oh yeah and and I remember them and it's that they're so good that they just disappear into these yeah. roles so yeah. you remember the roles and the performances without yeah. even thinking about the person yeah absolutely and I think that's you know that's that's kind of the the kind of career that that I aspired to from a young age and that you know I wanted people to yeah to know the roles I play more than I wanted them to know me and I think that yeah for me anyway those are the actors that I really really admire the ones that you're usually going oh where where have I seen them where have I seen them it's like that's a job well done yeah I guess it's it is it's that difficult thing isn't it sort of you know there is a an expectation to you know be out there and promote something but mm-hmm. you know sometimes sometimes it's like well oh, god yeah i know but the, the more i dissect this for public consumption the 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 less enigmatic uh the, the the performance becomes yes and and you know i i really do not like i don't enjoy talking about the the process of uh, of acting, you know, the the overall making of a film or a TV show or whatever, you know, I, I'll have great fun talking about that, the experience of being on a stage I love, but the actual discussing the acting is so difficult because, you know, in my mind, it is something that is um, mostly left up to inspiration, you know, you, you, you figure out certain parts of it, you do your research, you do the the work that you need to on the basis of it. And then when you walk on a set or you walk on a stage, you just give it all up to something else. And I don't know what that thing is. And I don't want to try and analyze it. Because ultimately, you want people to see the character, not what went into making that character. Yeah, everything you have to say about that character, hopefully, is on the screen. So our... Third movie poster. What poster am I putting up there then? I I, I think I'll, I'm going to probably, just because I want to see Nicolas Cage's face on the wall of a cinema corridor as much as possible, Yeah, um, I'm going to put that on. I think the scene, the scene in that where he tries to buy back the guns from Face Off <laughs> when he's in the museum, he's like, I'll give you $25,000 for them. <laughs> very, very funny. Very good. Uh, okay. So... We're on to our final, our fourth and final poster we're putting up in the corridor. And this depicts your unpopular movie opinion. What is it? It is that Grandpa Joe in the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is not a good person. <laughs> He's a really dreadful person. So this is this is Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory starring Gene Wilder. Yeah. Uh, this is right. Okay, yeah. okay. So why is he not a good person? Gentle, loving Grandpa Joe. That man lay in bed for twenty years, not contributing to that family. Happy for that mom to go out and work her fingers to the bone in a laundry. And for Charlie to have, you know, a, what do you call it, a, a newspaper rant. But he couldn't be bothered getting out of bed until he got a ticket to a chocolate factory. <laughs> oh, well, 
now I've seen it, I'm never going to be able to unsee it. What a massive dick. He just <laughs> leaps out of bed and sings a song. It was always there. He always had that ability. Yeah. He, it was an active decision. He was like, today, no. Oh, the floor is a bit no. cold. A ticket, you say? <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. And and then I guess once he's got to the chocolate factory, drinking that fizzy pot that yeah. sends them up into the machine that Willy Wonka yep. actively says, I'm going to need to clean. Yep. That wasn't Charlie. He doesn't Grandpa say, Joe. he does not help Charlie one bit during that entire trip. Even at the end, when Wonka's pretending to be angry with Charlie, he's like, come on, Charlie, we'll give Slugworth the, the everlasting gobstopper. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's thinking ahead. He's got a plan. He's like, he's like, look, there's, yeah, we'll get the there's money. some money. There's some money to be made here, Charlie. Yeah. 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 Oh, jeez. Right. So I think I think Willy Wonka should have said, yes, you can come live at the factory, Charlie, but the condition is that your grandpa Joe doesn't. What an alternative ending. Yeah. <laughs> this is all yours, Charlie, as far as the eye can see. But him, he can bloody do one. He's a. <laughs> He is a monster, and you might not see it now, Charlie, but let me tell you, I'm helping you. You will thank me in years to come. Getting rid of that stone around your neck that is Grandpa Joe. Lovely. Oh, that is a wonderful, unpopular movie opinion. So putting up a poster of the original Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Fantastic. Oh, what a great set of posters. So we have arrived. At the last set of doors. Now, there is a queue of people hoping to come in and join you and Brona for this screening, but it's your call. Do you want to invite them in or, you know, you like an 11 o'clock screening? Are you just wanting it to be you and Brona? Your call. I think it just has to be uh, me and Brona. I think that it just is going to stop me getting angry at other people. But also, I'd like to add that it's 11 a.m. and this particular movie, I don't think anybody else is coming <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, that's exciting. All right. I'm interested. I'm very interested in that. All right. Well, the crowd, the crowd go wild. They still go wild at the prospect of you and Brona having a wonderful time. And they've heard that maybe they don't want to see the movie. So they're, ex they're absolutely thrilled at not seeing this movie. Right then, before the movie you've picked for us begins, uh, one of the best things about the cinema, in my humble opinion, is the trailers. Yes. So. We're playing the trailer for the movie you're most looking forward to. What is that trailer? I am really looking forward to seeing Oppenheimer next year. Mm. Um, I do, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I think even when he gets way too confusing and, you know, maybe just goes a touch in the wrong direction, I still just admire that so much. There's the big, the big swings that he takes. And, um, you know, for for all of the... I'll forgive all the tenets for for the you know for the the inceptions and the interstellars and everything else. I just I I love his stuff and, and I love Killian Murphy. I think that clearly the the cast that he has got set up for Oppenheimer is incredible. So yeah, I'm really really looking forward to that. If anyone's earned a tenet in this world, it's Nolan. He's like, yeah. he's literally he's he, he, had, he had a clean score sheet until tenet mm -hmm. and you know. It's such a big question mark as well, because obviously Nolan, like he likes to play with time and everything. And yet this is a, a biopic. So mm -hmm. you're like, OK, so this it feels like such a, a different um, a different joint for yes. uh, for a Nolan movie. Yes, I'm kind of 
hopeful that the idea of it being a biopic will keep it toward, uh, you know, a, a, a tangible story. And uh, we're not going to <laughs> head off in a completely different direction. And so hopefully we get the best of um, the best of all sorts of worlds there, I think. Fantastic. Oppenheimer, the trailer for Oppenheimer plays in mm-hmm. Killian Murphy. What a, what an actor. He is so brilliant. That's the trailer for Oppenheimer. So it's now time to announce the movie we're watching tonight. What movie have you picked for us to watch? Laura. <laughs> The Craft. It's just, it's it's my childhood stroke teenage movie. And it's, you know, there were there are so many movies that Brona and I were completely obsessed with. I was very tempted to put in Dazed and Confused. I was very tempted to put in With Nil and I, because that's probably the film that I've watched most in my life and probably my favorite movie. But um, but the craft just defined my school years with Brona. And you know, we we were witches. We took that movie very, very seriously. We were we were meeting as a small coven every Thursday evening around my house and casting spells. And, and you know, I have to add, some of them worked, by the way. <laughs> There's a particular story, and this is absolutely no word of a lie, in which Brona and I were sitting in science class, and we looked, and we, it was like triple science, so it was going to be about three hours of science. And we looked at each other and we said, let's just try and turn the projector off with you know, one of those little swizzle sticks that you get in chemistry. And so we, we sat there with that and tried to channel our energy into turning the projector off to just stop the class so that we couldn't learn. And it worked. And not only did it work <laughs> once, but it worked twice. The projector spontaneously switched off. So if for no other reason, the craft got me out of triple science one gloomy Wednesday. I I don't think I've I've literally said the the words the craft out loud for for about twenty years. Yeah. Um, I think what 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 entertains me the most is that you literally put a line through dazed and confused and with Nell and I two bona fide classics that yeah. people would be like oh yeah oh my god and went no 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 the Rob, Robin Tunney Nev Campbell. <laughs> Feruza ball, get the craft on. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you were you were witches as well. Good, yeah. Were you good witches? Uh, wickers, I believe they're yeah. called, or, or, or bad yeah. witches. Well, you see, this this is this is you haven't seen the craft in about twenty years. You see, you you would remember this if you had it. <laughs> there is no good or bad magic. It is only it, you know the intention behind it. And so we mostly, I think, had pretty good intentions. Honestly, I, I love it when I, I get to walk away from uh, going on a trip to the movies with a movie that I am obviously going to watch immediately after we leave this virtual cinema. I'm going to watch The Craft again just to, just to remind myself of, of why it's a better choice than Dazed and Confused or With Nail and I. <laughs> I, I think I think that's the audience I can hear outside the auditorium once again cheering at the fact that they haven't haven't come in to watch I the crowd. I told you, I told you, people were not going to be beaten down those doors. <laughs> All right, Laura, it's a double bill. Of course, it's a double bill, not a triple bill, uh, like your uh, wonderful Sundays of yesteryear. A double bill. So, mm-hmm. what is the second film? It's the film that's most important to you. What are we playing? 
The film that is most important to me is Labyrinth because <gasps> it introduced me to David Bowie. And I mean, quite frankly enough said, it was, you know, I probably watched it when I was about five or six for the first time. And David Bowie came on that screen in those leggings and that wig. And I had confused, excited feelings about the bad guy in Labyrinth. And it never stopped. <laughs> I've often tried to memorize the, that line, the babe, the babe with the power, the power of the voodoo. Hoodoo. You remind me you of the do. babe, what babe, the babe with the power, what power, the power of voodoo, who do you do, do what? Remind me of the babe. Yes! Oh! I remember really loving Labyrinth, uh, but then going, oh, hang on, there's music in it. I'm not sure about this, but mm. uh, dance, magic, dance. Yeah. That scene yeah. is great. I mean... Yeah. And then there's the other one that he sings. I think it's the, as the world falls down and he's dancing with Sarah. And that's the moment where the film gets a little weird because you're thinking, hold on, is this like 13 year old girl in love with this middle aged goblin king? And is, are we supposed to be OK with this? And strangely, as a, like a six year old, I was like, I am OK with this. I want, <laughs> yeah. I want her to be with him. And now I'm even more confused. I I want her to just forget the baby and go with the Goblin King. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's 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 a weird movie for all sorts of reasons. But um, oh, could have been weirder. I think before David Bowie was up for it, uh, they were considering Michael Jackson in the <gasps> role. Which I, I yeah yeah we, <laughs> yeah. I don't think our nostalgia factor might be quite as strong. Uh, How different it, my uh, life would be. <laughs> Mm, yeah wow yeah yeah, yeah. okay um I'll, I'll i'll leave you i'll leave yeah. you with that little factoid um but yeah okay. oh labyrinth mm. what a movie mm-hmm. great stuff okay so uh just as a little uh, a final farewell to watching things on the cinema screen we're gonna play for our audience your favorite shot or sequence in a movie well i think I was between two because the first one I thought of was the one that I think had like a, had a massive effect on me when I saw it and still just sits as like a screensaver in my mind, which was the final shot in Von Trier's Melancholia of the planet coming into the... I just... That... I mean, that whole film really blew my mind when I saw it, but there's something about that shot that speaks so... It's just so close to every dream or nightmare that you've had along those lines. I don't think I've seen something like that ever captured on a screen in that way. And it just, it has sat with me ever since. I don't think that seeing that has ever quite left me. But I'm not sure it's my favorite. I think my favorite is, um, what about Bob? And it is Richard Dreyfuss's face as Bill Murray is on Good Morning America taking over the interview that Richard Dreyfuss has been waiting to give for, you know, years. And it's just the dawning on Richard Dreyfuss's face of exactly what is going on and the many, many emotions that he goes through silently in the space (laughs) of like 30 seconds. And it's just the most amazing piece of comic acting without any words that I have ever seen. And I just love it. Uh. 
Pro- probably helped by the fact that he really didn't like Bill Murray on well, the set yeah. of that yeah, movie. Exactly. <laughs> but, I think, but, yeah. think there was a lot of reality brought in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to play that sequence from What About Bob <laughs> as a thank you to our I was going to say to our audience, but they're outside. They don't get to see this. They have their ear pressed up against the door. Just you and Brona there. Now, you have done a lovely thing, Laura. You very kindly printed out T-shirts as a gift for our audience. You're going to give them to them when you when you leave the auditorium. It's got your favorite movie quote of all time printed on it. What are you printing on the T-shirt? I think it's just one word, uh, which is from Young Frankenstein, and it's when Gene Wilder has been attacked by the monster and he's trying to give instructions and, and he's trying to get the word sedative out and she's not understanding it. She's going, set a, set a give! And he comes out <laughs> at the end when he, when, he, when he gets out from the monster's grip and all he does is go, set a give! <laughs> <laughs> nobody does that crazed uh well i don't know what's what's the word the crazed comedy anyway quite like gene wilder does he's just so yeah the the scene that always makes me chuckle in that movie is the putting on the ritz uh dance number oh (laughs) all right so said a give is going on the (laughs) t-shirts right then The movies have finished. We've watched the sequence. The crowd have got their T-shirts. And as they leave the foyer, we're going to play your favorite piece of music or score from a movie. What are we listening to as we exit the cinema? This was so hard. Uh, I mean, God, soundtracks just, I... I discovered so much of my favorite music through soundtracks. I am just so grateful to Quentin Tarantino and Baz Luhrmann and people who just introduced me to, to I mean, the, the train spotting um, soundtrack, I think, was, was one that, you know, when I first saw, I was probably about 13, I think, when I snuck into the cinema legally to see train spotting and it just it introduced me to Iggy <laughs> Pop and Lou Reed and, oh, my God, you know. So I think, I think though that my favorite of all of them might be from Dazed and Confused, and might be the opening where um, Sweet Emotion kicks in from Aerosmith. So it, it, it got bumped for the craft earlier as a <laughs> as a movie, but it's making a resurgence. How old, how old were you like when you saw Dazed and Confused? Because for me, it was it was really one of those movies where I was I think I was about I don't know seventeen or eighteen. Mm. I, I just finished school and it was a, one of that long summer, that long post A level summer, oh. and uh, we watched Dazed and Confused. And then there were parties like that in fields and stuff, and you're like, I'm in the movie. I, this is the best thing. Oh, that's magical. No, I wasn't there yet. So it was aspirational. I think I was probably about 13. And, you know, suddenly you're walking around school quoting things from the movie you don't even understand. You're just like (laughs) saying stuff as if you know what it means. And, you know, and Matthew, like quoting Matthew McConaughey and not understanding that half the lines that he said, you know, (laughs) that are completely inappropriate (laughs) to be quoted from a 13 year old girl. Um, And just waiting for that, knowing that sometime very soon there were going to be parties in fields. 
I think I, I did the same thing. I don't think I really understood what I was saying and how questionable it is in the cold, harsh light of 2022. But going, that's what I love about college girls. I keep getting older. They stay, they stay the, the same, same age. age. <laughs> it's so wrong. Um, and, you know, there is always as well, I think, for any kind of Brit or Irish kid, watch an American high school movie, you know, that America just seems to do high school in a whole different way. And there was so much that just seemed magical about that and maintain, like it, it makes America just maintain that, that, oh, that, yeah, it's just that feeling that everything there is just better and, and is in like the movies, you know, and then the first time that you go to somewhere like LA and you drive past high schools and you're like oh they really do look like that they really you know they have those big football fields and they have you know and they have cheerleading squads and they have you know and all of that it just all seems like just a world that you want to get the hell out of school and get out there and explore because of the prevalence of american movies in hollywood like in our childhoods it's like you know we know things um, about high school that actually yeah. have no 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 relevance to us it's like i know yeah. what a prom is why do yeah. i know what a prom is from high school movies yeah homecoming i mean what the hell is homecoming but yeah we all know and it doesn't go the other way around they know nothing about how we live <laughs> <laughs> the arrogance unbelievable <laughs> um all right brilliant so sweet emotion that is going to be playing us out of the cinema oh and that's it, Laura. The curtains have closed. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting, and thanking you for leaving them outside the auditorium <laughs> so they didn't have to watch the craft. But before you go, it's time for this week's mystery question. It's called, what's in the box? I have a box. It's a fully immersive experience. Uh, so the mystery question is, Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice one. It's uh, what is what is the high point or what has been the high point of your career so far, Laura? Uh, I would say um, bringing the ferryman to Broadway is probably, you know, opening night there. That was a hell of a thing to have uh come up with you know we kind of we kind of came up with the the genesis of that play while we had been on Broadway a few years previously and we'd gone on a little trip up to a friend's cabin upstate for a weekend and we'd sat up and we drank a lot of wine and we kind of you know came up with the idea of this play and the basic plot of it and it was this little dream and it was so personal and it was um it was so personal for all sorts of reasons and then to be like maybe four years later opening it on Broadway as just a real thing was hugely exciting and way, way more than I ever thought I was going to get as a career, as an actor, when I was starting out. I think it's it's famously a, a very different skill set being on stage uh, as an actor to being on screen as an mm -hmm. actor. From your experience of both, is there one that you genuinely, that you enjoy more? I wouldn't say that it's that I enjoy one more over the other because I really genuinely like doing both. When I've finished on the stage, I am dying to get back on a screen and and <laughs> vice versa. You know, I haven't been on stage now in a few years and I'm dying to get on a stage. Uh, but if I had to pick one um, under duress, I would go for theatre purely because there's something that is incredibly fulfilling and very cathartic and very um just alive in the moment that is theater you know and and that repeating it over and over again and what that does to you it changes you 
as a as a person I think um and as an artist in a way that I haven't yet experienced from film and so I think that for for that it's not about enjoyment is it is just about it's about fulfillment for that reason I would I would choose theater but um like I say I don't have to choose thankfully and I really like that I do like uh, the uh, the genesis of the idea was over wine. Um, you should never underestimate the the creative power of wine. I, I read an interview with them, the the sitcom writer Simon Nye, and he was like, if you're a writer and you, you're you're faced with a blank page and you really can't get past that blank page, sometimes the best idea is to have a bottle of wine and just see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And then you wake up the next day and go, was it any good? Sometimes <laughs> it's not. But this, this time <laughs> it worked. Sometimes you win an Olivier Award. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, can, it can go either way. Uh, well, Laura, that is it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you leave, let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You have gone to the cinema with your childhood friend, Brona, at 11 a.m. in the morning. You are sitting on the aisle eating some fully loaded nachos with some sweet popcorn. You've put up posters in the corridor of you and Kevin with some mini bottles of champagne, a sad-looking Daniel Craig because people are on their phones, Nicolas Cage in the unbearable weight of massive talent, and evil Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We're watching The Craft without the audience followed by Labyrinth for our fix of David Bowie in those sexy, sexy Goblin King trousers. Laura Donnelly, thank you for taking us on a trip to the movies. My pleasure. What a fun evening it was. (laughs) And as Laura's cab carries her away from our virtual cinema off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week. So if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show. You can leave it on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can post it to any of our social media where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interviews for this episode and every single episode on our A Trip to the Movies Patreon, as well as early access to the podcast too. So if that's your bag, check out our A Trip to the Movies Patreon. And that really is it. I'll be back next week when another guest takes us on a trip to the movies. <laughs>